I want to start before we get going into uh, Acts 17. You have a Bible, you can open, open it up to Acts 17. I want to read a, uh, a text to us. Today is Palm Sunday, and so I want to read a text from Matthew 21, which kind of uh, <clears throat> helps us understand why today is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday before Easter, um, and in Matthew 21 it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. He brought the donkey and the colt and put them on, and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, "Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes In the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So this this is the week before he goes in. And it's called Palm Sunday because they were spreading spreading their cloaks on and they were cutting branches and they were putting them on the road. And as he's going in and they're screaming, Hosanna um, to the son of David. So... This is the day where, the week beforehand, where they're treating Christ much differently than they would be by the end uh, of the week. Uh, And it points to us where this is his final week where he's walking into obediently to the will of the Father to be willing to go straight towards the cross for us as he sets his face towards Jerusalem to suffer, but also to be resurrected. So I pray that uh, this week you'll have your mind, every, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but this week you'll... You'll start setting your mind towards the final week and uh, think on deeply on these things. And of course, uh, come to Good Friday service that we'll have here. We'll announce that later, but this coming Friday, we'll have, as every year, we'll have a Good Friday service at 6.30, and then we'll see you next Sunday for Easter. So uh, I'm going to pray now, and as, as I said, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 17, and that's where we'll be today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we look at uh, Paul in Athens, Lord, that we would see a pattern laid out for us in the way that he reached people that didn't know you at all, that were far from you, that we would see a pattern for us and that uh, we would use it, we would put it into practice, that we would want to see people come to know Christ by us. We wouldn't just hope that it happens by Christians in the world being obedient, but Lord, that we would see ourselves as responsible for that, as Christians ourselves, and that we would go and want to fulfill these things ourselves, that we would be used by you to see people come to know Christ. We, uh, we love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. So uh, if you were here last week, we started in chapter 17, and we were in verse 16, and all we did was just verse 16. Verse 16 said, Now, while Paul was uh, waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, 
and he saw that the city was full of idols. And this was the first point. So uh, Paul, this is church planning in Athens. Uh, You can go to the next slide. Uh, One more, actually. And so the title is Reaching People Like Paul. And the first point of this sermon is what we saw last week, or the the first comment. You can go ahead and put it up, number one, is that we need to be broken by the idolatry in the world. Paul, when he went into Athens, he was broken. In order for us to be obedient to reaching people, and if we really desire to reach people, it's going to start with ourselves. It's going to start with us wanting to reach them, being broken by the idolatry in the world. And when Paul went into Athens, uh, and we can see that in verse 16, that he was absolutely broken by their idolatry, which leads us to what he does. So seeing the idolatry, he's not just broken by it and thinks to himself, this is such a shame. I hope somebody does something. I really pray the Lord sends somebody here to reach these people, and um, I'm going to go home now. He doesn't do that, right? Instead, you can see in verse 17, when he was broken by their idolatry, verse 17 says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he, he did something. He wasn't just moved by the idolatry and said, I really hope something happens. Instead, because he was moved by the idolatry, he had to do something. So he reasoned with them. So he uses his mind to talk to them. And this, in this uh, word reason, you can think of it meaning as uh, patient persuasion. This is patient persuasion. He's uh, spending a lot of time with them. It, you can see in verse 17, so he reasoned the synagogue and the Jews and devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So this is patient persuasion. He's willing to go the long haul, and while he's doing it, he's reasoning with them or trying to persuade them to come to know Christ. So if the first thing is that we're going to be broken by the idolatry in our city, if we're going to reach people like Paul, the second one is this. You can go ahead and put it up. The second one is that we must be patient. We must use patient persuasion with people to truly reach them. Patient persuasion. I used to, um, my parents are from Mississippi. And so, I mean, that's, it's really, really, really Southern. And so uh, there, it's no big deal to drive around. I, my parents have been letting me drive since I was probably, well, letting me drive when I was a kid. Not anymore, they don't have to really say so. But whenever I was a kid, they, they start letting me drive around 10 years old. So I, I'm talking pedals and everything. And so uh, when I was around 12, we, we went over to where they're from. They're from a little town called Macon, Mississippi. It's when you get to the middle of nowhere and drive about another 60 miles and then you're really in the middle of nowhere and then that's where you are. And so it's no big deal just to drive around. So we're just driving around the highways as a 12-year-old and so uh, going 55 or whatever. And so we're driving around in downtown. I was driving from my one grandma's house to my other grandma's house, which and making, it's not really big. You, you could close, blink your eyes and miss the town. But when I'm driving, I, I have no, I'm, I'm brand new, right? So I'm driving around and I'm coming up to a, a stop sign and you know, as most 12-year-olds, I don't see the stop sign, and I just blow right through it. And so as I'm going right through it, uh, a cop pulls us over, and I'm, like, freaking out because I'm 12. And Dad's like, oh, miss, I don't know. And so he's like, just stay in the car. I'll get out, and I'll go talk to him. He gets out, and he walks out there. Now, my parents grew up in this town. They grew up in this town their whole life. And um, he gets out, and he goes back. And when he walks out, the guy looks at him, and he goes, Bubba Chambers. And he's like, yeah. And so he goes back there. And I don't know, I'm just staying in the car because, I mean, I'm 12 and I'm not a big guy now. You can imagine at 12, I was probably this tall. And so if I would have walked out, he'd been like, 
why is a seven-year-old driving? And so I didn't get out. And so anyway, I don't know what happened, but my dad went back there and they talked for a little while. And then he got back in the car and he's like, just go really slowly back to, back to uh, your grandma's house. I was like, all right. So I put it in drive and keep going. I, I don't know what happened, but my dad used some patient persuasion to get me uh, not in trouble. I mean, I don't really know what happened actually, but it, now, that doesn't relate to evangelism, really. But my, my point was that he, he was uh, in that moment using, which he has the gift of gab, and I don't, like the ability to talk to this guy, meet him at a place where he could persuade him to have a certain outcome. Now, in, in a similar way, my, my evangelism professor, uh, Dr. Reed, is the same way. He also thinks for the long haul, thinks for the long game when it comes to uh, reaching people. Whenever I go to, up there and we go out to lunch, everybody that he talks to is someone that he is patiently persuading. He's, he's thinking the long haul, that he's patiently persuading, uh, trying to get them to come to know Christ. Everywhere I go, he's, he knows the waitresses, he knows the people as they come. They're like, hey, Dr. Reed. And he's, he'll say, yeah, I'm trying to reach them. And I've, been, I've talked to him about this, I've done this. I've done, he's everybody. And so, uh, and a much more uh, better kind of illustration, uh, we, need to, we need to think like this and use the abilities we have uh, that everybody we know, we're, we're, we're not just trying to persuade them in the short term, but instead we're thinking the long game. And we're not trying to con them. This isn't like we're trying to do some kind of backdoor flim-flam on them. We, we love Jesus. We love them. We know their eternity without Christ. And so we are going to uh, reach them like Paul because we're broken by the idolatry in the world. So it says, so he reasons. So we are, are persuaded that we must do something. And so what we're going to do is, for the long haul, patiently persuade them. So... Who is it in your life that the Lord has ordained to put in your life that you have the ability to, over the long haul, patiently persuade them to Jesus? You've got people that you're going to be around for a long time. You, the Lord has ordained your, your neighbor that's around you or your sibling or, or somebody that you have the long haul uh, to be able to talk to them. So this isn't a... Uh, this, don't think of this as, I've got two weeks to get them saved. There, there, there might be people like that in your life. Two weeks, that's all I know them for. But this is not that. This is patient persuasion. You're going to reason with them. You're going to use the mind that the Lord has given you to converse with them and talk with them over a long time about any questions they might have about Jesus. So we're going to be broken by the idolatry about, with people. And then after that, because we're so broken, we have to do something that's going to push us to reason with them, to have patient persuasion. Now, I want you to notice what Paul does here. Paul's in Athens. You can put the map up for us. Uh, We've been talking about how he's on his second missionary journey, and whenever he's up in here, the Thessalonians come to Berea, and they try to to kill him. So he comes all the way down here to Athens. He's he's really far. He's away from Timothy and Silas. They're eventually going to come get him, and he's around in Athens doing work down here. He eventually uh, wanted to go back up, but... He doesn't. Anyway, so while he's there, uh, as his normal kind of uh, point of entry to any city, whenever he would go, he would go to the, the people that can be most easily reached. And, and here he does the same thing. You can see, as this. so he reasoned, and watch this, in the synagogues, in the synagogue with the Jews. So as what his normal kind of 
uh, method was whenever he would go into a city, he goes into the, to the cities where the people are Jewish, who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, and tries to reach them. But notice this, he also does this. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. And then watch this. And in the marketplace. And er, uh, every day with those who happen to be there. So he doesn't just go to just the, uh, the synagogues, but instead he also goes to the marketplace. He goes to where those who are Jewish are, who know the scriptures, but he also goes to uh, those that are in the marketplace or the Gentiles. The marketplace, especially in Athens, was the, the ancient city's kind of cultural center. This is where uh, it's not just the place you shopped, uh, but instead it's where... All of the culture was being made and all the culture was. Uh, so he's not just kind of like creepily hanging out at the Target place, right? And just wh- while everybody walks to the door, like, hey, how you doing? Like, instead, this is where everybody was. Not, they weren't just shopping, but they went there. And that's uh, like a big gathering spot. And so while he's there, he's going to where there's both Jews and Gentiles, trying to be around as many people as he could, be, as he could to reason and converse with them. Now, in order for us to be able to do this, I think as well as Paul, we also need to, uh, we can't be quite as educated as Paul, but we need to push ourselves in our own education. We need to push ourselves and be studying and, and learning so that whenever we are, are confronted with people that are those who are the Jews or those who are the Gentiles, those who are the familiar with the scriptures or those who have no idea about what the Bible says, we need to have, be the kind of people that are studying and learning along the way so that when we have these opportunities, we're able to tell them about Jesus. Uh, we're able to, as it says, reason with them uh, in, in, in any place. Calvin says that God cannot be worshipped rightly unless he first be made known correctly. And so we want to make known Christ correctly to people so that he'll be worshipped rightly. We do this by studying. We do this by knowing Jesus ourselves, so that when it's time, whenever we have the opportunity, when God brings the chance for us to reason with them, we're well equipped to do that. So, uh, I want to point this out as, as the third way that we can reach people is this. You can put up number three for me. So, the first one is that we're going to be broken for people. The second one is that we must be uh, the kind of people that are going to use patient persuasion to truly reach them. And the last one is that we're going to go to the church where the religious are and the marketplace where the irreligious are. And I I put uh, the word church here in quotes because at this particular time, this was the church, the synagogue. This is where those who were religious went. Uh, So that just means for us, there's, there's religious people. It could be in the church here, uh, but, but it also could just be in today's postmodern culture where the spiritual people are. We need to go to the place where there are people that are, are very religious. It doesn't mean that they're Christians, per se. It just means that they're very religious. But also, we go to the marketplace where the irreligious are. This could be, this could be the university. Uh, not necessarily, I don't mean Winthrop, but I mean the, the academia uh, where, where people are. Paul wanted to go to both places. Uh, he didn't think it was just a good idea to do this because of the brokenness in the city. Instead, he went... Uh, now, there might be a question looming in your head uh, that says, how far as a Christian should I be involved? Because the marketplace was the cultural city. How far as a Christian should I be involved into the culture? It seems like what would be smart if, that's, if the cultural center is where uh, 
most of the idols are, most of the idolatry are, most of the temptations are. It seems like it would be smarter for me as a Christian to be removed from that so that I don't get tempted into sin. It seems like that would be the smarter thing. And perhaps in some cases that might be the case. But as we've, I think, over the long haul here at Remedy argued that we don't want to be the kind of Christians that uh, remove ourselves from culture completely, nor do we want to be the kind of Christians that immerse ourselves so much into the culture that we don't look distinct from the, from the culture. Instead, we, we, we go into the culture, but as we're in the culture, we, we look distinctively Christian. And what we're doing in the culture is, by the Lord's will, doing all that we can to bring redemption to the culture. One pastor says it this way, about going into the marketplace of culture. I engage culture not for entertainment, but rather for theologically motivated missional observation with the purpose of finding the sins and idols that have replaced the gospel of Jesus as the source of hope and object of worship. All the while, I'm praying to keep a clear heart and mind so as not to be corrupted by the worldliness. And so while we're there, we're looking for places where people have, instead of... uh, Worshiping Jesus has, have replaced their, their heart, uh, these idols, with other things instead of Jesus. And so we're, we're looking for those things in their heart. We're looking for those things in the culture so that whenever we see that, we can say, what you're doing here is uh, instead of worshiping Christ, you're worshiping this. And Jesus is the only one that can fill that void. So there's marketplaces for us. As I said, you can say the university. There's television, talk radio. Even the grocery store aisles, the magazine racks. There's all kinds of places around you that represent the marketplace. And so we must be prepared to reason and converse with people that are there. We need to study. We need to learn. We need to be uh, as, as well equipped as we can so that when we have an opportunity and we're confronted with opportunities with people that don't know Jesus, that have uh, a lot of idols, that we're ready to speak to them just as Christ does. I'm sorry, just as Paul does here. Now, you can see that when he's there, he's going to be confronted with some people. So you have in verse 17 uh, some contrast between those who are Jewish and those in the marketplace. And even in those in the marketplace, you even have a contrast of people from the Epicureans and the Stoics. And so uh, he's showing, I think, just how amazingly missiologically astute he is. In verse 18 it says... Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with them. So I want to make sure we understand who the Epicureans are and who the Stoics are. Epicureans were from a guy named Epicurus. That's not coincidence, by the way. Um, And these people were lovers of pleasure. They were basically hedonists. Um, They... Uh, pursued pleasure with everything they had. They believed that the gods, the lower G gods, were composed of atoms uh, so fine that they dwelt in spaces between worlds, and so they don't really care necessarily about this world per se, so it doesn't matter how you live. So you can live it up, you can do whatever you want, because what you do in the flesh here doesn't affect any kind of eternal state that you have. So be a hedonist, pursue pleasure with everything you can, and that's fine. So they believed that their highest good, the Epicureans believed that the highest good that someone could do was pursue pleasure by intentionally not having any sufferings, not having any griefs, but pursuing all the worldly pleasures that you could have. That was the Epicureans. And they also had the Stoics here. Stoics were pantheists. They believed that not only that there are many gods, but, but that those many gods are in everything. That's what pantheists are. Uh, and so they believed that God is never fully 
transcendent, but always imminent. So he's, he's never really necessarily this long off, big, distant God. He's, he's imminent. He's always in everything. He's very close to us. But being that he's imminent, he's, they don't believe he's personal. So he's everywhere. He's close to us, but there's, he, he's not personal with us. Now, that contrasts a lot of things about what we believe about Christianity. God is both transcendent, lofty, huge, worthy of all glory, but he's also eminent, eminently close. And he's not like uh, in all things like in the trees and in the wind and that, those things. He is everywhere, but he's also unbelievably personal. So there's, there's some differences that we would say between, that we have between the Stoics. Um, so they are pantheists, which is kind of similar to Hindus. And they were all about self-control. So where the pan, I'm sorry, the Epicureans were about pursuing all kinds of pleasure. Stoics were all about self-control, keeping themselves from not ever getting upset about things, doing things. Uh, they, were not, they would not let themselves be seduced by the world. Kind of like, think Spock. If you watch Star Trek, it's kinda, they kind of like Spock. Um, so uh, Paul is going to address all of these people. And so he... he these people in Athens believe in many gods. And so he sees the Epicureans and the Stoics and says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Now, when they're conversing with Paul, he's not just chatting with them about their day and asking them how they're doing. He's doing something very intentional. And I bet you can guess if Paul's going to converse with people what it is that he wants to talk about. Everybody, you know the answer, right? It's the Sunday school answer that everybody gives when you're seven. Jesus, very good. So that's what he, he wants to talk to them about Jesus. And they say, uh, some say, what is this battle or which to say? Others, I'm going to come back to this, but I want to I help you see it. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. And here it is. Luke tells us, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So when he's talking with them... He is talking to them about Jesus. When it says some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers conversed with him, the conversation that Paul is wanting to have is about Jesus. And so to them, from their mindset, he's just talking about uh, an unknown God that they don't understand. It says that he's a preacher of foreign divinities, which in Athens, they're not necessarily against because... They believe in many gods. And so if somebody comes and starts telling them about their God, they just think, well, that's fine. We've got a big, huge collection of gods here. So you've got one. We'll just stick him right here on the shelf with all the rest. Look at it. No big deal. So this isn't necessarily something that is going to upset them whatsoever because they're totally fine. with. They've got plenty of them. You can add your guy too. Not a big deal. And so, but he's trying to point to them and say, that's not exactly it. Um, we're talking about Jesus, who's the only God. So they also, in Athens, um, in their big collection of gods, were all the gods that they heard of. They also had one more where it was like, okay, in case we haven't heard of all of them, we're going to have this one little shelf over here to the unknown god. So we're going to cover all our bases, thinking that we've got them all here. But just in case there's, there's more that we've never heard of, we have the unknown god. And Paul wants to help, help them see the unknown god that you don't know is the only true god, and that's Jesus. And so... He's conversing with them, and as he's conversing with them, they say, what does this babbler wish to say? What does this babbler wish to say? So um, you've got the, the Epicureans and the Stoics, where they're basically opposites, which are even bigger opposites from the people who are Jewish. And then he comes in there and says, and they say, what does this babbler wish to say? We, we need to know 
that whenever we are wanting to talk with people about Jesus, there is going to be derision that's going to come to us. That's what's happening here. When Paul wants to talk to them about Jesus, he, they're calling him a babbler. This, this word babbler is a derogatory term. It's uh, literally one who, one who picks up seeds and spits them back out without digesting them. Uh, so think of like a, a chicken that walks around pecking at seeds and spouting off things they don't understand. This is sticking it out. This is, uh, this is for the last 2,000 years the way that Christians have always been viewed. Second class intellectuals, knuckle-dragon Neanderthals that want to marry their sister or their brother. They don't know anything. They're backwoods, unintelligent people. Right? That's, that's the way the world has always kind of viewed us as Christians. You're not the real intellects. We have the intellects. You can just pretend like you're smart. Oh, you, you have a PhD. That's cute in your world. Which, you know, is that really hard? Did you, how many coloring books did you have to fill in to do that? So, like, that's the way they, they're treating Paul in, in Athens, and it's the way they treat us now. They don't, it's no different. And so they call him a babbler. Um, and I just want to point out for you, whenever you're walking through life and you're standing up for Christ and standing up for truth, especially in this postmodern culture, especially in this postmodern culture, uh, and you're holding out Christ as, as true, you're, we are uh, not always going to be seen as probably the most intelligent. But that doesn't mean that we aren't, and that doesn't mean that we're right. It just means that's the way the world views us. So they're saying, what does this babbler wish to say to us? Now, they may be, um, they may be interested in truly what he has to say, or they may just be being condescending to him. Either way, they're going to invite him to come in. You can see, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And it says, they took a hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus. They took a hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus because he was preaching to them Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, this, this is something that the Athenians had never heard before. They, they thought Jesus perhaps was just another one of these deities that they believed in. But Paul wants to talk to them about the gospel. Paul wants to talk to them about who Christ is and what he's done. He wants to tell them what we want to tell everybody. That Christ has come, even in our wicked state of sin, Christ has come and died on the cross for us so that we don't have to stay in our willful decision of wickedness, but instead, trust in Christ, believe in Jesus, be forgiven, and because of the resurrection, and I mean, this is huge, this is why every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, because of the resurrection, that we can have absolute resurrection in our own lives, that we don't stay dead in our sin, but we can be made alive by Christ, and he's preaching this to them, and for the, the Athenians, this is an absolute foreign concept. Now, I want to notice, I want you to notice something. So it says, so they took a hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus. Some of you might have Mars Hill. Uh, Areopagus is the same thing as Mars Hill. Uh, it's the hill of Ayers. Ayers is a, uh, a Greek, Greek god of war. Ayers can also be, traded, uh, be translated hill. So it can be the, the, the hill of Mars or Mars Hill. So Areopagus, Mars Hill, same thing. Uh, depends on... What, what version you're looking at. But, but watch this. And they took a hold of him and brought them to the Areopagus saying, may we know 
what this new teaching is that you're presenting. Now, the new teaching is the gospel. The new teaching is the gospel. And then he's going to go in front of the Areopagus and he's going to proclaim Christ to them. Now, here's the thing that I was thinking about this week. Um, As I'm watching, as I've always kind of thought about Acts 17, it's when Paul preaches to the Areopagus, preaches the gospel. But as I was reading it again, I I was thinking, you know what? Um, Paul was already preaching the gospel in Athens. And because he was already preaching the gospel faithfully, he was presented an even larger opportunity to an even wider audience of intellectuals to preach the gospel at the Areopagus. And so I was going to, when we're kind of getting here to say, we need to preach the gospel, just like Paul does here to the Areopagus. But instead, I I wanted to switch it a little bit because I want us to notice that before Paul gives his famous address in Athens, he is afforded this opportunity to preach the gospel at the Areopagus because he was already preaching the gospel in the marketplaces and the synagogues. So here's the fourth one. Reaching people like Paul. Put it up. Be already preaching Jesus. Be already preaching Jesus. So it isn't you're finally going to get to that awesome, huge uh, platform. You're going to have your Athens I'm not saying, you're going to have your Areopagus moment. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what got Paul, maybe you will, and that would be awesome. If you get an opportunity to talk to a a huge group of people like Paul to preach Christ, awesome. That's amazing. But but what I want you to notice is his willingness to be obedient to every city he went to to preach the gospel and whatever he could get to, synagogue, marketplace, that's fine, that obedience to the Great Commission is what afforded him the opportunity to be able to get to the Areopagus, which we can do. That's something we can do. We might not ever get to the Areopagus, but what we can do is already be preaching Jesus. And maybe the Lord will do it. Maybe he won't, but that's the Lord's decision. So major opportunities that we want, like Paul has in Athens, I would say on the whole, the way things will work, there's always rare, rare exceptions, come to us from prior obedience to already preaching the gospel. Already preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is a God-ordained blessing that we get to do. And we want to, and I want to hold out to you, before we get into the Areopagus, which we're going to have to do next week, I want to hold out this one challenge for you, which is, are you already preaching the gospel? You can go ahead and put it up. I want to end with a challenge for us all. Start, quote, be already preaching Jesus and see what amazing opportunity God brings for you. So we all, I think, rightly so, pray for this this kind of, Big thing out there that we look for in our mind and heart that could happen. God, I don't know what it is, but I want to do this amazing thing for you one day. I want to reach a whole lot of people. Give me the opportunity, finally, God, to be able to do that. And we just want it to kind of happen. But I think, as we're looking at the scriptures, in order for that to happen, 
right now, we need to already be preaching Jesus. If that happens, great. If that doesn't, okay. But instead of just hoping one day we're going to get that, I think what, what's more likely, uh, what's more in line with Scripture is that we can pray for that and we can want that to happen. But in order for that to happen, we need to already have prior obedience to already proclaiming the gospel to people. And, I mean, that's what Paul gets there, that uh, opportunity for Paul. Because he's already walking around the city. He, they hear it and they give it to him. They say, come and, and preach the gospel. We have this new teaching that we want to hear. It says uh, in verse 19, so they took a hold of him. And, and this took a hold of him could be that he didn't have a choice or it could be just a formal invitation. It, it wasn't exactly clear as I read commentaries, but they brought him to the air because I, I'm assuming Paul's like, yes, that's fine with me. Um, just a, a major intellect being invited to preach and proclaim what, what to them is a new teaching. Uh, it sounds good to him. It, they say it's strange. You can see it in verse 20. For you bring some strange things. That's not, that's not Stranger Things, the Netflix show. That's Strange Things, um, which is up for a second season, by the way. Um, so uh, what happened to Barb? Everybody just didn't care about Barb. Like, who cares about Barb? Like, that's, that's troubling. Anyway, uh, for you bring some strange things to our ears. So the gospel, as it's proclaimed to people, will be strange to people. This is, this is astoundingly strange. Well, I, I don't get it. Why is it uh, that you're talking about people coming back from the dead? Why is it that you, you, you think that I'm a sinner? There's, there's all kinds of st- labels of strange things that people can say to what is the gospel. But here, it's a new teaching. They're saying these strange things. We wish to know, therefore, what all these things mean. That, that's, that's amazing that they want to know. It says, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So verse 21 leads us into the Areopagus. Basically, uh, they would always gather. All the intellects would gather together in the the Areopagus, and they would want to just bring as many people as they can. New teaching, bring it. New teaching, bring it. New teaching. It doesn't matter if it's Christian. It doesn't matter if it's wildly not Christian. They just... They were intellectual and they wanted to hear all kinds of stuff. And so they're inviting Paul in. You got, you got a word. Bring it over here. That's fine. Uh, that's, the, that's the opportunity that Paul's walking into where they, they say this is new teaching. This is strange. We never heard this before. It sounds like you're preaching a, a, a foreign divinities. Uh, they're, they're making fun of him because they're saying that a man came back from the dead. And he walks into this opportunity ready to, in, in one of the greatest kind of academy settings, uh, which, by the way, Paul, trained uh, amazingly, is walking into this intellectual opportunity. How do you think he's going to do? They're calling him a, a chicken babbler. They don't know what they're about to get, right? How do you think this man's going to do? He's going to crush it, right? He's going to do an awesome job. But as he walks in, they're saying this new teaching, this strange thing, but because he was already preaching Christ, because he was already obedient to it, uh, he's invited in. So he's invited into the realm of intellectuals because he was already serious. Not at this moment, he wasn't finally serious about preaching Jesus. He was already serious every moment up until this time about telling people about Jesus. So here's the challenge, and I want you to think about this as we're closing. I want you to think about your life. I want you to survey the last month, survey the last year, survey the last however long you've been a Christian. Five, ten years, fifteen years, whatever it is. Survey that right now in your heart and mind. And think to yourself, am I right now already preaching Jesus? 
Is that, is that the way, if I think about my own life and I think about my own, how I'm living out Christianity, is that the way I would define who I am? Is that the way I would categorize the way I live my life? I want to close by saying this. Starting today, ask the Lord to help you and determine in your mind that this will be the case. Starting today, I want to be the kind of person that is already preaching the gospel every day. I want to be the kind of person that is already with all the people I meet, uh, telling them things that they might say is new, that they might say is strange. They might say are uh, things that we've never heard before. But I am preaching the gospel. I'm already, if the Lord brings a newer, greater opportunity because of it, that would be awesome. That would be amazing. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to be faithful in preaching the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your scriptures, there's, there's so many challenges, challenges that we look at whenever we come to Athens. There's just an amazing amount of things that challenge us from as we walk around our city, are we going to be broken by idolatry? As we live our life, are we already going to be proclaiming Christ and the gospel to people? Are we already going to be living our life on mission? Or are we only going to do it if the big chance comes? I pray for us all, Lord, that we would see here that Paul was invited into something larger because he was already being obedient. And you desire for us to be obedient. And so I pray for my friends here, I pray for myself, Lord, that we would hear this challenge and that the way that we look at our own lives, the way that we would think about the way we are living our lives, defining our lives, categorizing our life for Christ, that we would determine in our mind and hearts today that we are going to be the kind of people that are already proclaiming Christ. God, help us think about the people around us that don't know you. Help us consider those around us uh, that we can witness to, evangelize to, tell them about Christ. And and I I pray for us all, Lord, that if there's people around us uh, that don't know Jesus, that we would be cognizant of them. I pray for my friends here that if they don't have people around them right now that are unbelievers, that they would put themselves into the marketplace. They would put themselves into the world where unbelievers are. That they would willingly want to be around them. It's so easy the longer we're Christians to find ourselves more removed from unbelievers. And so, while we're thankful to be growing Christians, especially saved for a long time, and being sanctified and being more like you, keep us from uh, never being around unbelievers. Put us around them. Help us have a heart for them. And Lord, if we never do get an Areopagus moment, I pray, Lord, that that would be okay with our hearts. We're not promised that. We just see a pattern that you desire obedience You want us to be faithful in our lives to tell people about Christ. I pray that we would determine in our hearts and minds to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name.